morning. It is another Monday, and welcome to the podcast, Insanity, A Peace of Mind. This is episode 28, another episode on worry, and I am your host, Stephanie. It is a smoggy, smoky Monday here where I live. And for those of you unaware of the vocabulary, this is not an inversion where the smoke and pollution are trapped under the warmer air, which is almost exclusively a winter thing. This is fire season. And fire season is pretty terrible when you live in a place surrounded by mountains because it doesn't matter whether it's a winter inversion or the summer fire season everything gets trapped and stays trapped in this bowl until another weather until until another weather pattern like rain or wind or snow in the winter time clears it out The air quality is beyond poor. It ranks right up there with some of the worst. And to make matters even worse for our little community at this time, they're not even our fires. California, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, and Montana are burning up. And it is a terrible mess. And if you are a praying person, rain and temperate weather would be a good thing or would be good things to pray for right about now. We're in some pretty dire straits. Well, enough of that, because talking about it is not going to fix it and worrying about it will not make it go away. Thanks for joining me for another podcast about worry and why we shouldn't. I am going to continue using references and material from the book called The Worry Trick by Dr. Carbonell, mostly because it's a really good book. Uh, Really outlines the chronic worry problem, gives really good strategies, creates a plan of action, and allows some real-life changes to be made. And not all of us have the time or inclination to read it. And so I'm trying to get it out there so you all can benefit from the material. It's a pretty short book and it's taken me about three months uh, because I'm busy. And that's why I know that uh, we all don't have time to engage with this particular book. So Dr. Carbonell explains worry, and he explains the fear that goes along with it. Because with worry, we have a fear about the worry, and then we have fear about about what's wrong with us because we worry. And he goes on to help illustrate this by comparing worry 
and the kind of fear that is associated with it to scary books, stories, movies, or other scary entertainment. Scary entertainment works, and it scares people, even though most of the people who consume it know it is fiction. When people watch scary movies or read scary stories, they know that it is, quote, only a movie or, quote, only a story. The knowledge that it's only a movie or only a story does nothing to reduce the fear or the scared feelings people get when engaged in this kind of media or entertainment. When you pay money to see a scary movie, do you, do you get angry at yourself for being scared? You probably don't. Because even though you know everything you need to know is fiction, for most people, the scare is the same. This is important because it is the same situation with worry. If someone were to say, you don't need to worry about that, or stop worrying, it does not have the desired effect of making you stop worrying. You probably, you probably already know, and you don't need someone to tell you that you don't need to worry. And the worry is there anyway. And the reason for this is because we don't actually control our thoughts. You can do math, you can follow a recipe, or complete a work project, all using your brain and your thoughts but you cannot tell yourself which thoughts to have and what thoughts are not allowed. Thoughts come at will, unbidden and just because. It's actually kind of interesting to follow your thoughts, see where they take you, even the worry ones. The kind of attention or this kind of attention to thought is part of a mindful practice and can actually be kind of fun. Mindfulness practices are not about being a certain way or calming yourself or stopping your thoughts. Mindful practices are about awareness of thoughts. If this includes anxious thoughts or worry thoughts, then so be it. It's still a really good exercise. So getting back to worry... Worry is a pretty close relative of anxiety, as I have mentioned before, and anxiety is designed to warn you about some possible threat or upcoming danger before it becomes a crisis. This is good because it gives you the opportunity to create solutions and plan future responses. Here's the rub, though. Imagining future responses or creating future responses or dealing with future anything is never a sure bet because as human beings, we generally predict the future falsely. Dr. Carbonell describes two types of false predictions. The false positive prediction is believing that something is present when it is not. The false negative prediction is believing something is absent when it is actually present. Human beings, in order to 
you know, basically save the species or aid in the survival of the species, people generally tend toward false positives. This looks like you would never be cave. Our ancestors were never attacked by saber toothed tigers because they would hide away in anticipation of the saber tooth tiger being present. And when the saber tooth tiger is not present, the hiding away prevents other opportunities for food or deprives humanity of other opportunities to create safety and well-being. So the false positive is believing that something is present when it is not. That is what our human brains tend toward, which means worry is created because you are worried that something is present when it is not. The feelings or experience of worry and anxiety comes in physical sensations. It comes in behavioral manifestations and it comes in thought. Physically, a person might experience worry or anxiety with a racing heart, sweating, upset stomach, headaches, muscle tension, things like that. Behavioral manifestations might be biting fingernails, uh, avoidant behaviors. For example, if you're afraid of the freeway, you will avoid driving on the freeway by taking twice as long to get home on side roads. You might behave using addictions. Uh, you might shop or eat to avoid feeling worried about certain things. You might be a fidgeter or, um, let's see what else, what other physical or behavioral manifestations are there? Mm, that's all I can think of. All of these symptoms of anxiety and worry, whether they're physical or behavioral, are telling you the same thing. Basically, they're saying, I am nervous, or you are nervous. The physical manifestations of the I am nervous are pretty easy to interpret in yourself or in others. You can see them. If you are in a presentation and the person next to you who is going to present after you is fidgety or biting their nails, that is a physical and behavioral manifestation of their worry about their presentation. Uh, behaviors, again, if you're driving in the car with someone who doesn't like to make left-hand turns and the only way they get home is by turning right, that is an avoidant behavior that is visible for all to see. Where it gets tricky is with our thoughts, okay? Thoughts about thoughts and thoughts about worry thoughts is this vicious cycle where we create truths around basically fiction. So going back to the scary movie comparison, we 
it is possible to rid a scary movie of its fear factor if you are willing to watch it over and over again. The more you watch a scary movie, it becomes increasingly less scary, and oftentimes it just gets plain boring. This is the kind of thing that needs to be done with your worry. It needs to be made boring and less scary. This making it less scary and boring can be done by using your counter intuition to respond to chronic worry. Counter counterintuitive solutions are all around us. For example, don't fight the quicksand. The more you struggle in quicksand, the faster you will sink. Does anybody know if this is actually true? We've seen it in movies. Certainly we've heard about it, but has anyone ever actually been in quicksand? I don't know. Uh, another counterintuitive one is if your dog runs away from you, you don't chase her. Instead, run away from your dog because the dog will usually chase you and then you can catch her. Uh, waves in the ocean. Uh, the last time I was in the ocean, I was slammed pretty hard <laughs> several times, actually. And the idea of a counterintuitive response to the breaking waves in the ocean is to dive into and under the wave, not trying to run away from it. These are all counterintuitive solutions. So you get the point. You live in a world where, generally speaking, the harder you work at something, the more success or achievement you might have. This is not always the case, but it happens enough that the rewards are sufficient to keep you on this track. This is how things go in the external world, meaning you want a job promotion, so you work really hard to get a job promotion. You want to master the art of baking croissants. Practice, practice, practice. The more energy and effort you put into it, the more success you will have. These are external world things. This kind of uh, work harder to gain something is rarely the case for emotions and thoughts because these happen in your internal world. With emotions and thoughts, the harder you try to get rid of the ones you don't want, the more you will have them or the worse they will be. There are experiments and tests and research done on this idea that prove this up. It says it's a simple it is as simple an experiment as don't think of an elephant. As soon as I tell you not to think of an elephant, you are going to think of an elephant. It's a problem or not, if you don't mind thinking about elephants. The point is, the more you try, the harder you work at ridding yourself of thoughts or emotions, the more entrenched those thoughts and emotions will become. These are two opposite ways to deal with what goes on in your world, externally and internally. And so it's time to shake things up a bit because we don't want to keep doing the same things 
that keep getting you the same results. Back in uh, one of the first, I don't, well, I've only done two, but it was either in the first or the second podcast on worry. I don't remember which one. I mentioned the idea that worry presents you with doubt and you treat it like danger. This is an important concept to remember as we move through some solutions. Danger creates fight, flight, or freeze reactions. If you are stronger than the danger, you will fight it. If the danger is stronger but slower than you are, you will flee. If the danger is stronger and faster, you will freeze and hope to be invisible. These same concepts are how you react to your chronic worry. Chronic worry is rarely danger and almost always doubt which is just uncomfortable. Doubt is just uncomfortable. You can handle uncomfortable, but you need to work with it counterintuitively. This would be some variation of just go with the flow. If I say just go with the flow, the image is one of not fighting or working or doing anything but just being present with the worry thoughts. There is another analogy that gets used a lot of just floating with worry. Literally, this is floating. So if you're thinking about floating, this means no swimming, no doggy paddling, nothing. Picture yourself with your arms outstretched, face up to the sky, lying on your back, feeling the worry float away. There is a lot to unpack with worry, but it is still about working with thoughts that indicate a worry in your internal world, as opposed to events that may or may not occur in your external world. And generally speaking, your gut instincts to deal with this are usually wrong counterintuitive responses. Most of all your worry thoughts begin with the words, what if? What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? This is good news because the what if phrase is like a siren going off in your brain telling it, telling you that you're engaging with a worry. You're not going to avoid it, you're not ignoring it, and you're not using anti-worry techniques. You're listening to the siren tell you that you are engaged with worry. As an activity or exercise this week, I want you to start paying attention to how often your worry thoughts start with the phrase, what if? In this exercise, you will begin to develop a new way of relating to chronic worry. In your chronic worry, the what if is always followed by a clause that contains a catastrophe. Dr. Carbonell calls it the catastrophe clause. Ha ha. For example, what if I get bitten by a dog? What if I get lost? What if it rains today? 
These are all questions that you would not be asking or worrying about if they were actually happening. If you were being bitten by a dog, you would not be worrying about it. You would be doing something about it. If you were worried about it raining, you would have an umbrella, or you would be inside, or you would be finding protection somehow. If you were worried about getting lost, you would be using a map or a GPS or asking for directions. Do you understand the point? Because worry is usually about pretending something bad will happen, not sitting around doing nothing while something bad does happen. What if is the same as let's pretend? So the other thing I want you to think about this week is how many variations of what if do you have? Let's pretend is a big one. And if you start to use let's pretend and kind of mad lib your way through your chronic worry, noticing the what if and the let's pretend as they introduce your catastrophe clause helps you overcome the chronic worry and anxiety because you're becoming aware of it. If you aren't aware of the worry, it is strengthened by the fact that it is on autopilot. We've talked about autopilot. We've talked about the importance of mindful living so as not to be on autopilot. This is true of your chronic worry as well. I Uh, there's an exercise that Dr. Carbonell gives in the book, and we're going to wind this particular episode up with uh, an explanation of this exercise. He suggests counting your worries. So this is a really active engagement in your worry thoughts. Get a bottle of Tic Tacs or some kind of mint or candy that comes in a quantity already known, or easy to count. Tic Tacs, you can get them in those little containers. They'll have 25, 50, 60, whatever. Or you can have a pocket full of Smarties or whatever, but you need to know how many you have. Each time you notice a what if thought, eat a mint or a candy. And if you don't want to eat it, then throw it away or give it away. It doesn't matter. The idea is to make sure that it is removed from the container. Do this for a couple of weeks. The idea is to make a significant change in your awareness of how your chronic worry habit invades your thoughts all the time. You might also want to look for phrases like suppose or it's possible because we all have variations on our worry phrase themes. The idea is to make sure that you are aware of your language and what your let's pretend phrases are. I don't want you to worry about how big this feels. If you are a big chronic worrier, this might feel like every thought you have is a worry thought. Don't get sucked up into that. It doesn't matter. Just do it and become aware. This is the beginning of learning how to engage with chronic worry in a way opposite of how you usually do it. There will be no avoiding, no ignoring, no thought stopping, and no distracting. Okay, which is strange because 
as I think about it, the avoiding and ignoring and distracting are actually useful in some ways. Because if you go back to the example of the being bitten by a dog, more often than not, when we are avoiding or ignoring or distracting and trying to stay disengaged from our worry thoughts, it's because we are not in danger. We're just uncomfortable. Which means part of the awareness activity I want you to work on this week is noticing the avoidance and the distracting because they tell you it's a unnecessary worry thought. I hope that makes sense. Okay. Um, a final thought about worry questions. Our what if questions are usually followed by why questions. Neither are useful. Why is usually rhetorical and more often than not, it's a complaint. If you are going to question your worry thoughts, better questions would be what and how. And they would fit into this exercise by saying, if you are aware of a worry thought, because it starts with what if, or let's pretend, or suppose, and followed by catastrophe, what if I get cancer, what if I get COVID, a better question would be, what am I experiencing right now? Or how can I respond to it? Because as often as you have your worry thoughts, you don't actually have, there aren't answers. So using the questions, what and how, what am I experiencing right now? And how can I respond to it? Help you deal with your worry thought, not the worry itself. Bobby McFerrin said, don't worry, be happy. And I'm not going to sing it. And I hope you all start singing, don't worry, be happy. Worry steals our happiness. Don't let it steal yours. And have a good week.